Well, good evening. Welcome. Calvary Chapel Old Town Sunday Nights. And um, a couple things. The New Year's Eve um, prayer and fellowship time. If you want to come to that, um, you don't have to, to tell anybody, but Bryce Bonner is going to be kind of heading that up. And uh, are, are you planning on being here? Or Okay, Arnold will be here too. If you let him know you're coming, that may, may help. Oh, there's Bryce. Okay, Bryce is right there. Um, so raise your hand one more time, Bryce. Bryce is heading that up. And, uh, you know, let them know if you're going to come just so uh, they can kind of make plans. If, if you just show up, if you decide last minute we're going to come, come. Don't, don't stay away. But uh, he, he's the one heading that up. So, And then uh, Wednesday night, if you're available, um, we need some extra drivers for a uh, youth. Uh, it's uh, the Amazing Race, kind of a car rally scavenger hunt around town. If you're 21 and over and have a good driving record, uh, we can use you. It's got to be a better driving record than mine. Um, they let me drive because I'm staff, but they probably shouldn't. So, no, I'm <laughs> just kidding. Um, but we could use some help with that. So if you're available this Wednesday night, uh, we'd love to have your help with that. Please talk to me after the service. That starts around 6 p.m. for the uh, amazing race. All right. Well, we're in Revelation chapter 12 tonight, and we're going to get a very different view of Christmas, um, different from the ones we're used to. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and start with Revelation chapter 12. Verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God into his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Verse 7. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea. For the devil has come down to you in great wrath. Because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth... He pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given 
the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and a half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. May God add his blessing in the reading of his holy word. Lord God, we do pray you'd open up your word to us tonight. Give us understanding. Teach us, Lord. And help us to apply it to our lives so that we can do your will. We thank you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This, this chapter in Revelation, I, I really believe, is probably the most symbolic chapter of the whole Bible. And it's in the most symbolic book. It's a very, it's rich in symbolism. And it, it, you can't help as you read it but let your imagination just go wild with what's going on. This is just a wild chapter. And, of course, the picture painted here of Christmas from heaven's view is very different than what we see uh, or what we tend to think of when, when we think of the Christmas nativity. And, of course, you know, on, on uh, Christmas Eve we had the little children's nativity come down. And it's always fun to watch. The, the lambs usually steal the show because they're the ones who wander the most. And this year we had a donkey trying to play with all the instruments. And we had to, we had to get him out of there before guitars crashed. But... but uh, it's so fun to see that little nativity come through and, and it's just, you know, peace on earth. But heaven's view is so different. Heaven's view shows a dragon trying to devour the Christ child as it's being born. And, of course, we don't think of that. I've never received a postcard ever with a dragon trying to eat a baby. You know, it's like, can you imagine? Season's greetings. Like, what is this? You know, maybe that will be something to do for next year. But um, Art actually told me that he went to a, a, a Catholic mass last week and they had a play. And in the play, they actually had this Chinese dragon chasing around Mary during the play. It's like, wow, that's pretty awesome. But we don't tend to think of, of the spiritual warfare like this. Now, you may think like, oh, I understand warfare in the holidays. I've been out there shopping at sales. I know what warfare is like. But, but no, seriously... This kind of warfare is so different, and, and we're not used to seeing this perspective. And here we are in Revelation. We're in chapter 12. Now, first thing I want you to realize is this is not a chronological chapter, so it's not in order. It, we, we didn't wait to introduce the, the Satan. We didn't wait to see Satan thrown down from heaven, nor in chapter 13 we're going to see the first beast. Then we'll see the second beast. These aren't in chronological order. John is in his little parenthetical break. So this very well could have been earlier on. It's probably more like the very beginning of the tribulation period. And I'll explain why in just a minute. But what we see in this chapter is we go back in time to Bethlehem and then we jump forward to the tribulation period. Now if you remember, I've referred a lot to over the course of this series how Daniel is really like part one of Revelation. And, and Revelation is the, the, the final installment from Daniel about dealing with God's people, specifically Israel, during this tribulation period. Now, we talked about the 70 weeks of Daniel, and it's interesting that the 70 weeks of Daniel, God gives us this prophecy through Daniel that 
there will be 77s to the end to finish off all prophecy. And, and we, at the, the 69th 7, we have Jesus, Messiah show up. And then there's one more seven, seven-year period, and that will bring in the end. And that's that last seven, we know the Antichrist shows up, the tribulation period. But the problem is the church is nowhere in that prophecy. The last 2,000 years since Christ are completely missing from that prophecy in Daniel. And, and just like that, here in chapter 12, this first part of chapter 12, again, the church is missing there. It goes right from Bethlehem to the tribulation period. And, um, and, and I, I just want to just show you that, that really I believe the church is gone at this point and God is beginning to deal with the nation Israel. Now, Christmas is one of those things that as we look at it, we recognize what a wonderful testimony it is to God's sovereignty. I mean, really, have you thought about Christmas and how much God controlled, how much power he exercised in the Christmas story actually happening? I mean, the fact is, is that 700 years prior, he prophesied the virgin birth. And 700 years prior, he prophesied that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. And, he, and the prophecy in the Old Testament that, that uh, Herod would slaughter the children of Bethlehem in an effort to kill the Christ child. All these prophecies were given hundreds of years prior to Christ. And what happened? It happened just as God said it would. Notice that very first verse, and a great sign appeared in the heaven. So I want you to realize we're not talking about literal people. We're not talking about a giant woman or anything like that. We're talking about a sign. What is a sign in the Bible? Well, first of all, a sign is just like a sign that we have, that we use. Signs are used to point us in the right direction, to let us know where we're going or where we're headed or if we've arrived. Uh, I'll never forget one time we went to this castle uh, in uh, Germany and uh, Berg something, everything's called Berg, every castle. That's, so this is Berg something. And, and, and we were trying to find the parking lot for this castle. And so we followed the signs around. The signs weren't very well made signs. They were kind of like lame signs that somebody had actually made and put, put up themselves. So we, we ended up parking in this parking lot. We paid for parking, parked in this parking lot. And at the time, Elise was one and a half years old. So if you're a parent, you know that if you walk somewhere with a one and a half year old, you're going to probably carry them most of the way because it was a gravel path. or well, at least it started out as a gravel path, turning into a dirt trail. And I, I, I want to say it was at least a mile, maybe more, to this castle. We hiked all this way. Well, when we arrived at the castle, we found that there was another parking lot right there at the castle. But we had followed all these signs to this own person's parking lot. To, that they, it was like a tourist trap to get, get you to pay for parking. It was like the far hike to the castle. Signs help us know where we actually are and where we're supposed to be. Much like that, same in the, the, the Bible. Signs point to a person, a place, or a purpose. In Scripture, sometimes signs come in miraculous ways, like fire coming down from heaven and consuming a sacrifice, or a sea opening up, or a Nile, the river Nile, the Nile River turning to blood. Those are all signs pointing towards God. And of course, here we have another sign, a great sign. And the word for great is mega, megas in Greek, and it just means giant. Um, this giant sign appeared in heaven, and here it is, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars, and she was pregnant. Who is the woman? Well, it's Israel. And you can reference back to Genesis 37, 9, 
Um, Joseph has a dream, and it says, uh, Genesis 37, 9, did it, yeah. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And so early on, Joseph, in the book of Genesis, Joseph has this vision. And, of course, the vision is about him becoming a leader, a ruler in Egypt and his whole family coming down to Egypt. And Joseph is sharing this dream. Of course, it gets him into trouble with his brothers. But here we see the brothers are referred to as the 11 stars, he being the 12th. And his mother and father are referred to as the moon and the, the sun and the moon. And here we have a woman with the sun and the moon and eleven and 12 stars. It represents Israel, no question about it. I know there have been other things that have, other people have tried to do other work with this. Um, they've tried to say um, it's the church. And that doesn't totally work out because the church did not give birth to Christ. Christ gave birth to the church. It, the, it doesn't work that way. And, and most of the time it's an effort to get rid of Israel or to replace Israel. And we don't need to do that. We can just read the plain meaning and go, yeah, this woman represents Israel. She's pregnant. Who's she pregnant with? Oh, uh, she's pregnant with one who will, who is to rule all nations with the rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Wait, a guy who's supposed to rule all nations with a rod of iron? Well, we know earlier on in Revelation, we're told that the church and to the church in Thyatira, that one of the one of the, one of the rewards for those who who persevere will be to rule with Christ. They'll rule, but Psalm two tells us this is definitely Jesus. Jesus is the one who rules with the rod of iron. So there's no question about that. This is speaking about Jesus. And or Israel and Christ. Now notice Christ, but her child was caught up to God. This is talking about the ascension. The word there, harpazo, to catch up. It's the same idea of uh, being raptured up or taken away. And, uh, and it just means that Christ has ascended. So we're, we're, we see that the woman, Israel, gives birth to Christ. Now, why is Israel so important? I mean, why do Christians make a big deal about this? Well, at least they should. Listen, Israel has been called out by God, set apart by God. Israel should be important to the Christian. Now, I'm not saying that Israel is saved because they're Israel or Jews. No, we know that it's only by the blood of Jesus Christ that someone has salvation. But there's no question that God has called out Israel. In fact, if, if you go back to Genesis 12 when God calls Abraham, you guys remember that calling? He says, Abraham, I want you to leave your people and your father's household and go to a land I'm going to show you. And then he begins to tell Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to multiply your children, as many as the grains of sand on the sea. And I'm going to bless you, Abraham. And anyone on earth who blesses you, I'll bless. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And anyone who curses you, Abraham, I'm going to curse. So all peoples on earth will be blessed through Abraham. Well, that's you and me. We're blessed through Abraham. Jesus came through Abraham the prophets came through Abraham. The Bible itself has been given down, handed down through the children of Abraham to us. We've been blessed by Abraham. 
And, of course, we've been engrafted in Christ, the Bible tells us. But do, do you know when God said, okay, I'm no longer going to hold to that blessing, that, that promise to Abraham? Do, do you remember the part in the Bible where God said, okay, now it's okay to curse the Jews because I've removed my blessing from them. Anybody remember that part in the Bible? I don't. It's not in there. No, now, now, God, Jesus has called down judgment on Jerusalem. And Jesus has get, had given Jerusalem some woes. But that's his deal. He's working with them. For me, I'll still be blessed if I bless Israel. I'll, I'll still, I should still look to bless Israel. That's why we want to make sure we don't fall on the side of anti-Semitism or be a, a, opponents to Israel. We want to be pro-Israel because the people who bless Israel are blessed. In fact, the Bible tells us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Have you guys ever thought about that, what that means to pray for the peace of Jerusalem? I mean, ultimately, when we think about Jerusalem, and as we're reading Revelation, we're like, it doesn't seem so peaceful, you know? But the peace for Jerusalem comes when Messiah comes. At the second advent of Jesus Christ, when, when, when Jesus returns, peace is issued in, ushered in, sorry. Peace comes through Messiah. We should be praying for the peace of Jerusalem. Israel is very important. And have you noticed throughout the Bible and human history, we've seen over and over the, the, the world trying to destroy Israel. I mean, have you, have you thought, thought about how big Israel is? I mean, we're talking a country the size of New Jersey. Can anything good come from New Jersey? I don't know. Just kidding. If you're from New Jersey, I'm sorry. But we're talking about a country the size of New Jersey. It's not a very big country. It's this little tiny space, this speck on, on the earth. But it is warred over. And the people who occupy it have tried over and over to put to death Israel. Think about it. Early on in the garden, we, we have Satan trying to destroy God's people. But then we have Pharaoh actually starting to kill all the, the children of Israel. And, and all the way from, and then we have Haman in the book of Esther. He tries to commit genocide on all of Israel, and he's thwarted by Esther. And then we have Herod trying to slaughter, kill the actual Christ child as a threat. We see him going after. Titus Vespasia wages war on Jerusalem and Israel. Hitler obviously did his best to destroy Israel and all the Jews. Hamas, ISIS, all these groups are always trying to destroy Israel. Israel. What's the big deal about Israel? It's God's people. It's his chosen people. Now, where do you and I fit into that plan? Well, we're God's people. We're his chosen people too. We, God just is working different with us than he is with Israel. Now, what happens if a Jew becomes, gives their lives to Christ? Well, they're God's people. God's chosen people. In Christ, they're part of the church. Because in the church there is neither Jew nor Greek nor Gentile, Scythian, slave or free. We're all one. But there will be a time when God specifically calls back Israel. Have you ever tried to talk to a Jew about Jesus Christ? Have you ever tried to? It is impossible. It, you, when you, it's like talking about Superman going into the phone booth with glasses and coming out without glasses. You're like, no, seriously, like, just look. Here, here's with glasses. That's Clark Kent. Now take off the glasses. Look, it's Superman. Superman and Clark Kent are the same guy. The only difference is glasses. And I don't see it. I don't see it. And you start showing the prophecies of Jesus and the fulfillment in the New Testament, and a Jew goes, 
I, I don't see it. I don't see it. You're like, no, seriously, just put the glasses on. Look now, take them off. Do you see? No, I don't see it. When you talk to a Jew, you can see that there is a spiritual blindness that is set in on them. Why? Well, Jesus tells us they rejected him. So he's rejected them for a time. He's going to deal with them. And here we are in the great tribulation period. And God is starting to deal with Israel. Look at the dragon. The dragon waits there to devour the child. Have you noticed that God's people will continue to be under siege until the day of his return? God's people will continue to be under siege. We are God's people. Israel is God's people. Satan hates whatever God God loves. You just have to recognize that. Satan hates you. He wants to devour you. He wants to to destroy you. That's his plan. That's his goal. He's a dragon waiting to devour. Notice what his titles are here in, in Revelation. His title is that ancient serpent called the devil and Satan. Of course, Satan means adversary. The deceiver of the whole world. The deceiver of the whole world. Have, have you noticed once you became a Christian how all of a sudden you saw things a little different? You started thinking differently. You, you didn't think about subjects the same way that you used to think about it. And, and even there was a clarity of mind that came knowing Christ that you're like, yeah, that doesn't make sense. I don't want to do that. That's not going to bring about the good life. You, you started to learn that, no, I, I don't want to lie to people. I, no, I don't want to steal. Stealing doesn't bring about the good life in Christ. You, you start thinking differently. E- even to the point, you know, in today's world, you'll have people that are shocked that you don't go along with their view of things. Shocked that, that, that you would say that same-sex marriage is, is not right. Shocked that you would say abortion is not right. They're, they're, so, they're so amazed that you would say that and you're like, no, I have good reason to say that. Speaking about the issue of abortion, I recently had a conversation with somebody about abortion. And, and she was amazed that I was opposed to abortion. She was like stunned by it. And I was stunned that she was stunned. Because I was like, well, I'm a Christian. That kinda, doesn't that make sense? You know? Aren't the Christians always the killjoy of the world? You know, that's what we do. So <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> So um, what I said is, like, you, you, you have to understand, I appreciate life. Don't you value life? Yeah, I value life. Don't you want, uh, aren't you against murder? Yeah, I'm against murder. So we both value life. You know what? I also think that women should have a great life. Don't you agree? Yeah, I agree. In fact, I believe women should have choices in life. Don't you agree? Yeah, I agree. The issue is, is I don't believe that murdering will cause that person to have a good life. Don't you agree with that? Well, I'm not sure it's murder. Okay, well, the Bible tells me that God created me in, my, in the mother's womb. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I recognize that God has done a special creation in that womb, and it's not my place to say when that life can end. But, but don't you realize the baby is totally dependent upon the mother. I'm like, okay, well, what about fourth trimester abortions? Fourth trimester yeah, so after the baby's born, that first trimester of life or that first quarter of life, or what about aborting the baby then? Well, why would you do that? Well, the baby's totally dependent upon the mom. All babies do is eat, sleep, and stuff, and they do some more stuff. That's what babies do. They're totally dependent. A baby can't change its diaper. The baby can't feed itself. 
Baby can't do any mathematical equations, read. I mean, really, is it contributing to life at all? So you give that argument, and they're like, wait, you're, you're trying to trick me. No, it's just the difference is it's how I see life and creation versus how you see it. I see it differently. But they've been deceived. They've bought into the world view. They, it's, it's the same view that says hell is going to be a cool place. Satan's got them all tricked. Go live your life. It's the same view that has people buy into cults or false religions. Man, I'm, if I was Satan, I would create the a religion that seemed the closest thing to, to something spiritual and godly, but just leave out Jesus. Do you know any religions like that? Oh, that's right. Islam, Mormonism, and then, of course, Hinduism just has millions of gods. So you can just add Jesus into those gods. I mean, all these world religions are just deceiving people to worship who, ultimately? Satan. That's what he's tricking them all into. Now, I know that that's not very PC today, and I'm getting the target on me and all that sort of stuff, but, but it's the truth. There's only one way to, to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. Notice what it says here. He devour, de, 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 uh, intended to devour this, but what happens to the woman? The woman is nourished, she, she's taken to a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. And what does that equal, 42 months? Oh, well, remember, we're doing a 30-day month, which is the Jewish calendar. And so we've got three and a half years. I believe we've jumped up to the tribulation period at this point. Some say that this could be the flight to Egypt, Mary and Joseph's flight to Egypt for the, the three and a half year period. But it seems like we've jumped now back into the tribulation period. And um, notice what happens here. A war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. This is the point when Satan is no longer welcome in heaven. Now, when I say welcome, I don't mean like he's, he's like, oh, hey, what's going on, Satan? Nice to have you over for a time. But um, we, we know from Job that Satan appears before God. We know that Satan has access to go before God. We know from this passage here that he accuses the brethren day and night before the Lord. That's what he does. He's, oh, look at, look at this person. They're liars, cheats, thieves. They've lusted in their hearts and their minds. They've, they've done this. They've done that. They've done, they don't deserve you, God. They are dirty and filthy. That is what Satan does. And at this point in the tribulation period, he's cast out. A war broke out in heaven. And I mean, wow. I mean, my imagination goes wild with this. I don't know if yours does, but Michael and his angels fighting back against the devil and his angels. And actually the Greek kind of shows, uh, when you read it in the Greek, it's kind of Satan and his angels initiated this battle in heaven. And they're, they're cast down. And, and one of the things that we see is this goes back to Daniel. Turn with me over to Daniel chapter 12. There's two portions we're going to look at in Daniel here. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1. It says, At that time shall arise Michael, 
the great prince who is charge of your people. Whose people? Daniel's people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Here, here uh, Daniel's given a prophecy of the time of the end. And it says that a great prince will rise for Israel, Michael. And, and I really believe this is speaking about the same Michael, Michael the archangel, fighting for Israel. It's almost... It, it almost seems like Michael the archangel is uh, this angel given to minister to Israel and protect them. We know that uh, in Jude we have Michael disputing with Satan over the body of Moses. And last week we talked about those two prophets, so that's very interesting. And, and again, I can only say that it's interesting. I can't go any further with it because the Bible doesn't go any further with it. But here we see the same Michael, well, I believe it's the very same Michael, uh, referencing this tribulation period, and, and Revelation picks up with it in chapter 12 of Revelation, and we see this war. One more thing I want to go to while we're here in Daniel. Go back to chapter 7. What we're going to see, we're going to get into some power players here in the book of Revelation. We've got the woman representing Israel. We're going to see, well, we have the dragon, which is Satan. We're going to see a beast coming out of the sea. That's the Antichrist or also called the little horn. And we'll get into that more in depth next week. Then we're going to see a beast coming out of the land. That's the false prophet um, who, who serves the Antichrist and causes people to worship the Antichrist. And then we're going to see the, the whore who rides on the dragon, and, and that's the, the false church. So we'll see all these things in Revelation. But in Daniel chapter 7, I just want to have you guys read this more probably on your own as you go. Daniel has a vision, and this vision kind of matches up with Nebuchadnezzar's vision. Nebuchadnezzar saw a man, and the man was composed of different parts. But now Daniel has a vision of these four beasts. The first beast was a lion with wings, and it represented Babylon, and the kingdom of Babylon. Basically, Daniel is told there's going to be four kingdoms, and then a fifth kingdom, which will be Messiah's kingdom. And so the, the, the first kingdom is this lion with wings, and it represents Babylon. Then another kingdom is going to come. And this kingdom is a little different. This kingdom is a bear carrying some ribs in its mouth and, and a little awkward looking bear. And it represents the Medo-Persian Empire and Cyrus the Persian. It's interesting that Cyrus is given the term the, uh, the bear. He's called Cyrus the bear also in history. Then we have a third beast which is a leopard with wings and four heads. And, of course, we, we know that that represents, or we, we believe it represents Greece. And if you remember, Alexander was very swift. That, that's the, the wings there. He moved across uh, and conquered Persia in a very short period of time. And when he died, his kingdom was broken up among his four heads, his four generals. And so that's the, that's the leopard with the wings moving swiftly. Then there's a fourth beast, and this fourth beast is terrifying, Daniel says. And this is what he says about it after verse 7. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and, I, and behold, there came up among them another horn, 
a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were the eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. Interesting, this beast here has these ten horns and great teeth. And we, we, we really believe that this represents the Roman Empire. And that at some point the Roman Empire will be reestablished. And by the way, that's not that far-fetched. Throughout history, people have constantly been trying to reestablish the Roman Empire. Hitler thought, that's why he called it the Third Reich. Um, he, he thought he was reestablishing the Roman Empire. It's always been the goal to reestablish the Roman Empire. But here we see this, this beast has ten horns. Oh, that's similar to, wait, the dragon with the seven heads and ten horns and the diadems on the, oh, that's very similar. But look what comes out of that. Three of those horns are replaced by one little horn. That's the Antichrist. Notice that here in the prophecy it says, and behold, this horn, and a horn is a symbol for power, has eyes like a man and a mouth speaking great things. And, of course, later on in Daniel, next week we'll look at a, a different part of the passage. It talks about boastful things coming out of this little horn. That's the Antichrist. All right, let's go back to Revelation chapter 12. So Daniel has predicted this all the way through. We see Satan being thrown down to earth, setting up his kingdom. There's no longer any place for him. Now notice what the loud voice says. A loud voice in heaven. Now the salvation and power and kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Okay, so here the accuser is tossed down to earth. He's no longer going to be welcome up in heaven. Uh, Satan is coming towards his end. That's what we want, right? We're tired of injustice. We're tired of evil in the world. Anytime evil does happen, we go, Lord, why, why is this injustice happen? Why is the evil happening? Well, because sin is in this world. And Satan is the ruler of this world. But, but the time is coming when Christ is casting him down and his end is near. Notice what it says, though. There's rejoicing in heaven because the, they have conquered him. Who? The brethren, the, the believers, have conquered him by the blood of the lamb. God gives us a little plan here for victory. A victory. But, and, and I think this applies as much to the church as it does to Israel in the future tribulation period. But that's it. That by his blood we're made clean. So yeah, he's accusing us night and day. Oh, look at how dirty this guy is. And, and God looks over at us covered by the blood, cleansed, sin removed, and goes, what are you talking about? He's not dirty. He's pure and holy. Satan looks back. What? What's going on there? And, and so we know that it's by the blood of the lamb that, that we conquer. And then notice the testimony of the believers. Why is that important, the testimony? Well, your life and your words matter. They matter greatly. Satan is trying to kill and destroy. He intends to bring as many people to hell with him. You have a part in a ministry of reconciliation in God's kingdom. You and I get to give a testimony. We get to shine our lights before this world, showing how good God is and what he's done for us. Are you living that way? Have you thought about that? Or are you taking your little light and it gets lit and you're like, oh, I don't want anybody to see this. Let me hide it under a bowl here. I don't want to light up the room. 
Have you, have you thought about that? We, we went backpacking and on this backpacking trip on the Sierras. Um, usually sun goes down and you go to sleep because there's nothing to do. And then you suffer through the night and then you wake up. And, uh, but we were with the youth kids and they wanted to play games and we'd already looked at stars and it was a cold night. So we, we ended up taking a bunch of space blankets and duct taping them together and making this little makeshift little lean-to. And I had this little tiny battery-operated uh, lantern by Black Diamond and, and it just had, has like a little glow from it. And we hung it in the center of our little makeshift emergency blanket lean-to. And it was amazing how much light it actually gave off for our whole group. We, we had like 10 people inside this little emergency blanket shelter. And it was, it was like 10 degrees warmer inside than outside, even though there were no doors on it. Uh, so the people on the ends, just their backs kept us warm, you know. They froze on that side of them. But, but amazing how, how nice that light lit up that little space as it reflected off the, the emergency blankets. Even a little light can be a wonderful testimony and a wonderful, wonderful warmth to this world. Even a little light. Now how much more if you kindle that fire and you, you grow and you become that, that incendiary person shining brightly for God's kingdom. How much of a difference will you make in this world? Every generation needs to be reached. Every generation. We're, we're not finished. As long as there's a new generation, there's new people to be reached. There's new people that need light. They, they need the light of Christ in their life, and you, dear Christians, are there to reflect that light into their life. You know, we could decide that, um, hey, you know, we, we've done a pretty good job reaching the nation. And, I mean, really, look at the decision-making that's happening among our politicians. You know, it's just not worth it anymore. Let's, let's kind of insulate ourselves as a church. And, and besides, I was thinking maybe we could get rid of the pews and put in some more comfortable chairs. And... And you know what, <laughs> let's get rid of the pastor, he's kind of long-winded. We'll put up a TV screen and we'll watch movies together and we'll have this nice little insulated fellowship and, and that, that'll be much better. No, it won't be much better. The church was designed to reach the lost. Your standing orders are to make disciples. Go forth, preach the gospel, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. That's, that's our general's orders to us. You might say, oh, no, no, that's, that's, you're the pastor. <laughs> that's your job. <laughs> I'm not that great of a pastor. <laughs> Fold you. <laughs> no. No, that's, that's our job as church. That's what our job is, to make disciples. That, that, that's what's bringing victory that's what's bringing people to Christ. And then lastly, look at this last thing that, that brings about their victory. They did not love their own lives even unto death. They, they, they considered themselves of less worth than their love for Christ. They're willing to lose it all. Have you gotten to that place in your relationship with Christ? Now, I'm not saying you go and say to your spouse, okay, that's it, I'm becoming a missionary, I'm out of here. Don't, don't do that. That's not, that's not godly. <laughs> so you grab the hand of your spouse. Um, <laughs> so don't, what I'm saying though is that we should consider our life of less worth, our comforts of less worth, our enjoyment of less worth to knowing our Savior. 
That should be the primary worth, knowing our Savior, loving Him, living for Him. Have you moved into that place yet in your life? Because that is where we're going to start seeing victories. You know, the church has been under siege in America for quite some time. And sadly, much of the church has been asleep. Now, as we're losing more and more ground, the church is starting to wake up. And what we're seeing is we're seeing a different kind of church. A church a lot less comfortable. A lot more cautious with how we speak in public. Now, we really need to continue speaking and doing it in love. But I think that discomfort that is happening is going to create a church that is more powerful than we've seen in a long time in the United States of America. That's what I hope it will do in you. I hope when you go to your workplace, you're going to in love be a light and a testimony for Christ. Foiling the plan of this, this great dragon, the beast. Notice that it says, rejoice in the heavens, but you who dwell in them. But woe to you on earth, for the devil has come down. Well, praise God, we're not going to be there at that time. <laughs> but woe to the earth, because time is short. Notice what he does. The dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth. He pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. Three and a half years, there it is again. So the dragon comes down to earth. He's pursuing after who? Israel, the woman. Exodus 19.4, I think I put it in here. Let me see, did I put it? No, I didn't. Exodus 19.4, let me just go there real fast. If you're taking notes, Exodus 19.4, it says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. This illustration comes up a few, quite a few times in scriptures. And, of course, of course we have the, that wonderful passage that's on plaques and everything from Isaiah. I will mount you up on wings like eagles. And that whole idea that God is in charge of our escape. He's in charge of our protection. And he takes care of it. And so here with the Israel, she's given these wings of the great eagle. And it's just letting us know that, that God is sovereignly protecting her and guiding her into the place he wants Israel to be. Some think that she flees actually into Petra. Um, and, and there's a reason for that, but it's kind of speculative. Um, and that goes back to a prophecy in Isaiah, which we don't have time to get into tonight. But um, so we see that Israel flees from uh, Jerusalem in that area as, as, as she's moving out. And, um, and she's going to be nourished by the Lord for three and a half years. So what does the serpent do? The serpent pours water like a river out of his mouth and the woman to sweep her away with a flood. I have no idea what this means. So <laughs> I don't know. So <laughs> I, I, I did so much research on this and I can tell you that it, it, it could mean a lot of different things. It could mean armies are sent after Israel. But here's what we know. A very destructive force, a force that is unsurmountable, comes after Israel as she's fleeing. Uh, the, the odds are not in her favor, but notice what God is going to do. He's going to protect her in a very unique way. The earth opens up its mouth and swallowed up the river, and there, there Israel is safe. It goes on to say that then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. 
on those who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. And, and he stood on the sand of the sea. And then next week we're going to see him calling the beast up out of the sea, the, the Antichrist. But let me just close with this. As we talk about the dragon, did you notice in the very first part of this chapter, the dragon had seven heads and ten horns and and the crowns, the the uh, crowns to go on them, um, the um, uh, seven diadems, seven crowns. Satan is referred to as having seven heads. Well, what does that mean? Well, he's he. It's remember that number seven is complete. Now, I don't want to use that term perfect. The term perfect often gets used for seven, but I, I certainly don't think. I, I wouldn't say that Satan is perfect, but I would say he's complete. He has a, a complete knowledge. He's got a complete thought. He's highly intelligent. He's not stupid. In fact, when we look at how Satan uses temptation and how Satan tries to cause us to turn into sin and, and how Satan tries to lead us astray, he's incredibly intelligent. But he also has authority, those crowns on his head. So what are you to do about it? Well, you're to conquer him. By the blood of the lamb, your testimony and the loss of yourself. That's what we're to do as Christians. You know, in this chapter, the one thing that I see constantly in it, and we've seen it in every chapter throughout the whole book of Revelation, is God's sovereignty. Satan is throwing everything he can at Israel. He's trying every single way to, to, to take out Israel. And what is God doing? Protecting her, fighting for her, taking care of her. That's what God does. Do you, do you let God be sovereign in your life? Have you, have you surrendered everything, recognizing he is the sovereign? We often get sidetracked with hardships in our lives. or You know, we recognize his sovereignty when, when things go our way, when we get the, the 10% off coupon. We're like, wow, God's so sovereign. I was going to buy this pizza and wow, a 10% off coupon. Praise Jesus or PTL and text messages, you know. And, uh, and we're like, God is so sovereign. But, but when hardship comes, we're like, why did this happen? Why? Why? How come we're not praising God for his sovereignty then? God is sovereign all the time. Every hardship, every heartache we go through, God is still in control. In fact, to me, there's a whole lot more peace in knowing that God is actually actively in control Versus thinking, man, this is just happening for no reason at all. That, that's the worst. This is bad luck. No. You have a God who's sovereign. Every, everything you have to endure in life is for a purpose. It's for a crown that will last. God is absolutely sovereign. And all through this tribulation period, as many things are chaotic and what's going on, he's still always in control. Do you live your life that way, that God is in control? Do you, do you hold on to that promise? I want to encourage you to do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much, God, for your word. And thank you for letting us get through this chapter tonight. And Lord God, we do ask that you bless your word to our lives, Lord. Cause us to remember these things that we've learned from this chapter and how to apply them. And Lord Jesus, we recognize that it is only by your blood that we are saved. So if you're in this room tonight 
and you have not been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, if you haven't received that wonderful gift of salvation, Jesus dying in your place for your sin, you just cry out to him right now where you're at. Just say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I'm ready to follow you. Lord, help us to be mindful of the lost. Help us to be ready to share. And God, more than anything, help us to know you more. We thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.